Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Synchros Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where I think if you're on the East Coast, this is actually one of the the worst times of the year for you when it comes to Formula One. Because the, you have to watch the races live? Yeah. And, it, you know, if you're like us and you like to time shift, you either now have to schedule your day to specifically catch the races live or you watch them even later. That's not fun. Actually, the biggest problem that we have is that our DVR doesn't work right for us unless we suddenly learned how to speak Spanish. Because for reasons that are inexplainable, the only Formula One coverage it records actually live, it'll catch yeah. like the repeats or something, but the live coverage it reports, records is in Spanish. Yeah. Shockingly, that's not helping our uh, the boys' Spanish grade. Well, we, we should probably watch a little more of it for, for his Spanish grade. But, you know, back in the NBC Sports days of coverage, the reality was what we were getting from the Spanish channels was better. Well, <laughs> more comprehensible? Possibly. Ooh. Well, I don't know about more comprehensible, but it was more intelligent no oh no, no man um steve Matchett it was better a very smart man it was better but being held back by david hobbs was really hard yeah by the way um i don't know if we ever mentioned that we saw lee diffie at the track at mid ohio we did see lee diffie we, we did do we dodged him on the grid yes we did he should have dodged us, but we dodged him. That's the kind of people we are. Well, we're politer than he is, but I just <laughs> wanted to make a comment that he's very short. He is. <laughs> he, he, he's short and a little round. Well, yes, but he's very short. Like, short like me, short. <laughs> um, which was a very sharp contrast compared to, you know, I don't know, Alexander Rossi, who is a giant among the race car drivers. He and kind of is. he might be like, 5'10", 5'12", <laughs> 6 feet. That would be 5'12". Yes, it six would feet. be. He might be 6 feet. We, we could look that up. But we're going to talk about Formula One right now. Oh, we are? Mm-hmm. Not dissing Lee Diffie's height? Not right now. Should we celebrate for a second that we are actually having two podcasts in a row? We could, but this is the third one in a row. We celebrated two. <laughs> two last week, which brings us to three this week. So, yeah, it would be a really short second since we did it already. Oh. <laughs> Should we celebrate that this is our third? And no, we're going to talk about Formula remember? One now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we've lost our last listener, you may talk about Formula One. Yeah. Um, a couple of months ago, and they do this every year, but... Really, we kind of tuned it out. Um, but a couple of months ago, Formula One had announced, and we had talked about it, their innovation prize. Mm -hmm. This was 
basically they were crowdsourcing ideas to make Formula One better yes. in all kinds of different ways. Um, and we had talked about it a little bit, and we had actually even considered submitting some. And I think you, you, the entries had to be in by like the end of July, if I remember correctly. It was right around the time that I was getting ready to go off to, to Italy when that was announced. Well, they announced this weekend the winner of this year's Innovation Prize. And what innovation shall we see in a few years? Well, it goes to James Go. G-O-U-G-H, I'm assuming is Go. Um, or Ga. Ga. He won a $50,000 prize for proposing the new, or, or what he believes should be called the My F1 concept. Not an app, but a concept. And it's the idea that um, since, well, for starters, we all have multiple devices that we use for all kinds of stuff. Not just phones, smartwatches, Amazon Alexa, smart home devices, those kind of things. And his idea is an immersive experience from the huge amount of data produced by a weekend that leverages all of these devices, whether that's with Amazon Alexa, your smart, so that you can get all of this data from F1 on any of these devices that you choose without having to rely on third-party partners. Interesting. I, I do think that that might be sensory overload, but I would love it if Alexa would remind me that the race is starting. And I think that's part of it. You know, what, what he says, th this is his own explanation of the idea behind it. He says, my idea was to engage fans more with the technology that is out there, like smartwatches, and we have smart homes now. At home, my washing machine is smart. Now you're getting concerned. <laughs> At home, my washing machine is smart. So if I can get various details on my washing machine, then a fan at the track should be able to get the data that they want from an F1 race and when they want, as and when they want it and not have to rely on external sources to get that information. Because, yeah, as I started reading it, I'm like, I don't want F1 information on my, watch, my washing machine. I really don't want details about an F1 car in my washing machine. But that was his idea. Okay. I think that summarizes to uh, more data, guys. Yeah. More data. But that got him $50,000. So I'm thinking next year, maybe we should take this a little more seriously. Okay. In other news, in a last stab at formula, the, the, the current Formula One management and Liberty Media... Bernie Eccleston got another poke in. Oh, really? It's the only way I can go and explain what has just happened. It was revealed this past week that while, yes, there was a contract signed for the Brazilian Grand Prix to extend it for three years um, back in 2014 was when that contract, or, or excuse me, another three years. It was a six-year contract back then. The contract was signed in 2014. Um, Formula One and... Liberty Media discovered that the next three years, even though there's a contract, they won't be getting paid. Huh? No hosting fees will be paid to Liberty Media and Formula One for the next three years for the Brazilian Grand Prix. And remember, Bernie Eccleston negotiated this deal. 
And I think that's very important. So the way the promotion works and, and the, the arrangements work for the Brazilian Grand Prix is that there are actually two separate contracts. One with the race promoter to host the race and in a separate financial agreement with the city of Sao Paulo to cover the hosting fee. Okay. The contract with the promoter was signed for six years. Okay. The financial agreement for the with the city of Sao Paulo was not. Oh. Yeah. So Sao Paulo was only on tap to pay for the hosting fee for three years right and they're not signing for another three years to pay for it but they're obligated to host it because the promoter already has a contract for six right interesting you tell me especially 2014 was when a lot of these negotiations were, were, were going on about a possible sale for Formula One. You tell me that this wasn't a deliberate move by Bernie Eccleston to mess with whoever bought the sport. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus, doesn't he have a bit of a stake in the Sao Paulo race because of his mother-in-law and wife? That That's what I don't quite understand here. Because he has partial ownership of that track. Right. And, yeah, you, you figure out he's got partial ownership of that track, and he threw the fit about possibly hosting it because the facilities were so bad. But he has a stake in that track. So, you know, he could, had a stake in making it better, mm -hmm. and he couldn't be bothered to do that. Instead, wanted to threaten to pull the race out. I, I, I don't quite understand, not that anybody really quite understands how his mind works. True. So... All right. Moving on to 2019 and some of the further changes that are coming. Okay. Pirelli ha has revealed the color range for the 2019 tires. So we're going to go full on rainbow colors, right? We're going to have all of the colors in their proper Roy G. Biv order, correct? Well, Mario Azola says they're actually wanted to do the exact opposite. We wanted to eliminate the rainbow as we had too many colors. So Pirelli has gone to just three. They're not doing three compounds, are they? They're not doing three compounds. Um, there's still going to be a range throughout the entire season of five and six compounds available to the teams for the season. Um, but as the current rules state, they're only going to bring just three types to each race weekend. They're going to be categorized, though, and the colors will be based on the categorization. There will always be a soft, medium, and hard tire with the various compounds standing in as the soft, medium, and hard for the weekend. So it might be the super ultra plushy soft is the soft, softest compound of the weekend. However, it will just have a red band and will be referred to throughout the weekend as the soft tire because it is the softest option available. I don't know if I like this. So it it, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. You're going to have the soft, the medium, and the hard, and that's all as a fan you have to worry about is the soft, medium, and hard. I understand that part, but mm -hmm. we have been so ingrained in um, this idea of – 
ultra softs and hyper softs and super hyper softy soft softs. Snuggle bear. Snuggle bear tires and all of these different things that that's become part of the lexicon of what we deal with. And to then know that on one weekend, the soft tire may be the ultra hyper soft um and then the ultra and the the medium cart medium tire might be the super soft and the hard tire might actually be the soft tire Mm -hmm. as opposed to on another weekend it could be soft truly soft medium and hard and i mean those are it's kind of like it goes back to kind of what indycar does where they have the black wall and the red wall tires and you spend a try a bit trying to figure out okay well which one's softer than you know which ones are gonna be stickier what does this mean but the compounds are constantly changing so a soft isn't a soft well yes what and and even technically those names are going to go away for the various grades for for each compound um, the way they want to refer to it with the teams is some kind of a code either a letter or a number you're not sure which so that you won't even think of that you've got a hyper soft tire anymore. It's a two ah. or it's a C or whatever so that the teams have some idea of what they are. Um, again, what Mario Izzolo says is that they want to have a clear identification for each compound. So if they're going to homologate five compounds, there will be one, two, three, four, five, and they're going to give the inf- that information in advance to both the media and to the teams – so they know what number they're going to have. Um, and so you know for the, that for this race, the hard is number two, the medium is three, soft is four. So you can compare it different circuits, but for spectators, there will just be the three colors. Okay. That's, they've gotten a lot of criticism for the rainbow colors, and they're trying to sort out to simplify it. And I, in all honesty, I think IndyCar does it the same way. IndyCar does do it the same way. I've just never been a fan of the way IndyCar does it. Okay. So, you know, being more like IndyCar in this regard is not necessarily my favorite thing. Plus, we won't get to make fun of the Snuggle Bear tire anymore. That's true. That we won't have. But we haven't, we haven't made Snuggle Bear jokes in a while. Well, that's because they came out with the Hyper Snuggle Bear. I know. That made it even harder. Yeah, when Snuggle Bear is no longer the softest tire available, that became a little bit difficult. Other changes for 2019. We know there is a new wing coming for 2019. It is supposed to have simpler end plates, fewer elements on the wing itself, and be wider to hopefully reduce some of the dirty air and allow racing to get closer. Teams have been told that the postseason test in Abu Dhabi this year, they cannot run the new wing. What logic does that have? I mean, we should be testing, starting to test new things for the next year. We should be, but the FIA says that the reason why this is not being allowed is because the whole point of that test is to be a tire test, not an aero test, not a race development test or anything like that, strictly a tire test. Okay. Now, I think you could argue that Given that they're testing the tires for 19 and not 18, looking at the aerodynamic profile of the cars as close to that 19 spec is better for whoever the tire supplier is. 
would make sense. I would argue that. But this is not how the FIA sees it. Now, the other issue is that teams also can't run this because a lot of times teams use free practice one and free practice two as test sessions, especially as we get closer towards the end of the season and standings and title is set. They can't do that either. So they're not. We're not seeing this new wing to Barcelona winter testing, right? Right. And by the way, the reason why they can't run the wing now and test it in free practice now is because the wing's technically illegal by the eighteen rules. Mm-hmm. the The wider wing is too wide for the standard, so they can't test it in free practice one. Uh, well, also, I'm sure that even being illegal by the rules the other thing is it also has to have the right points to marry it to the car i I don't think that's as much of a concern and i think it's because of the way they mount to the car it's it's fairly standard i mean it's a couple of quick release screws in set locations they can that's probably not as much of a concern um but if they had to adjust anything on the back end to accommodate the wider wing it would change things possibly so i mean that's another possibility but yeah they're not getting any good testing outside the wind tunnel and uh Mm -hmm. uh, computational fluid uh dynamics dynamics you're close i'm impressed hey i I try (laughs) i i almost pay attention to these things so other things that are not happening at the postseason test (laughs) That is such a convoluted sentence. It's not happening at the at okay, the postseason. We're test. not going to be at the postseason test. See, um, there is no chance in this world that oh, I don't know, Alexander Rossi is going to drive in the postseason test. I wouldn't quite go that far. I mean, it, that that is a conceivable thing. Highly unlikely. There's probably less chance that. Or, um, Alonzo would drive at the postseason test since he's gone. I'm out of here. But staying here on focus of where I was going, Daniel Ricardo will not be driving in the postseason test, neither for Red Bull nor for his new team, Renault, who really wanted him to drive in the postseason test. So one of the things that happens besides the tire testing is – when drivers are switching teams, if possible, the receiving team likes to get the dri- the new driver, the transferring driver, to come and drive for them at that test. It's an opportunity for the driver to start getting a taste and an understanding of what trackside operations and pro- procedures and protocol are like for the team. Mm-hmm. It smooths that transition. Otherwise, they don't get to do that until Barcelona. So Charles Leclerc is going to be driving one of the Ferraris in Abu Dhabi postseason to help smooth that transition over. Renault approached Red Bull and said, hey, we really want Daniel to come and drive in the test. And Red Bull said, "Uh, no, he's under contract. Can't do that. Um, But it also turns out that because of the contractual stuff that's going on, he's not going to be driving for Red Bull either. Okay. Yeah. So according to Daniel... He's not allowed to test. He can't drive for Red Bull, and they won't let me drive for Renault, so it's okay. I can have a holiday. Christian Horner says there's a little more to it than that. 
Of course. What Christian says, he says he's under contract past that date, so he won't be doing the test. There was a question, is he available? And it's very clear that he's not. So it's very simple. They just asked what his availability was, and he's not available. He's still got obligations to tidy up until the end of his contract. I don't know. Hearing what Daniel has to say, it doesn't really sound like there's any obligations other than go eat a cheeseburger. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. We're enforcing the gardening leave portion of your contract. Yeah. Um, while it sounds like um, Charles Leclerc will be driving a Ferrari for part of this test, it's not clear that Ferrari is going to let Kimi Raikkonen drive a Sauber. Okay, that just seems wrong on yeah. its surface. But it does sound like Antonio Giovinazzi will be driving the Sauber after the Mexican Grand Prix. Oh, okay. Because um, there is basically a single-team Pirelli test happening in Mexico City. I think we had mentioned this a couple of months ago. Right. So Giovinazzi will at least get that opportunity. Okay. Kind of easy since he doesn't have an active race seat. They can go, yeah, sure, come on down. Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to say, Giovinazzi could probably try for Sauber at the end of the Abu Dhabi test, too, without a problem. And they may consider that at this point. I mean... He, he might be, quote, available. Yeah. While we're talking about Renault. So, right now, they're on their Spec C engine. Correct. Which, in terms of overall performance-wise, it's... Better than the previous revisions that we've seen so far this year? Still it's evolutionary. To, it is evolutionary. Still having some issues. Not mm -hmm. fully right. Um, well, Cyril a bit... And, and the original plan, the original understanding everybody had was Spec C was probably what was going forward into 19. And that was what they were going to evolve to. Well, Cyril a bit says that, yeah, no, now that that's not happening. <laughs> um, there is some limitations to the current architecture of the engine we don't know exactly what that means but some limitations to the current architecture of the engine that are fur hampering further performance development of the engine and as a result they're going to go in a completely new direction now for 19 oh my given the number of completely new directions that renault has gone in the turbo hybrid era and the lack of success that we have seen I, I i'm a little concerned well maybe they'll get it right this time there's only so many new directions you can go and they still be wrong yeah i mean you, you say that but you know they, they've they, they went with that great big upgrade for ers that failed so spectacularly that it took them a year and a half to sort out that problem i know so I, yeah, they, I, I still think they could screw it up pretty royally. I mean, it took Honda three years. And they're still not quite there. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see what happens um, next year with Red Bull, with a Honda that's still probably not fully there, and Renault making a big shift i mean they might have may have it in their mind that they've got some secret to 
what's going on. And okay, well, if we fix this, then it's got to cause this whole redesign. Yeah. And then the dominoes start falling. It is entirely possible that Renault could shoot up to compete with the big boys next year. Well, that's what their hope is. I mean, that's that's the hope. But I mean, it, it would be spectacular. I mean, we've been hoping that for Honda for the past three years, and we're still not seeing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you meant you, you brought Honda into the conversation, and, and Honda has been doing markedly better since Suzuka. And I know it's only one race, but even in qualifying, we've seen a step up in that engine. Max Verstappen commenting, as Max likes to, says that he is very excited to see the impact that the latest round of upgrades to that engine is. Um, and in response to Frederick Vasseur's comments that they're going to go a different direction, um, said that, you know, this is just the same old promises from Renault, and he can't get excited about that anymore. Ah. Uh, yeah. I, I hadn't been planning on mentioning it, but since you went that direction, it was like, yeah, he, he, somebody's been talking to Fernando Alonso about how to go and talk up and slam people at the same time. Well, there's definitely that. I think uh, Verstappen is going to the Alonzo school and the Horner school of, you know, talk up and slam your partners. Yeah. So we talked about this idea that Lewis Hamilton had of the big format change and the super format change, uh, that proposal to how a weekend mm-hmm. worked. Yep. I suspect that despite how the article on Autosport was written that, you know, people have been talking about this since and thought that maybe it's a really great idea for Formula One to try this after the title was, you know, try it this year after the the two titles were were sorted out. And and I suspect that the people that were talking about this were just Autosport. Oh, okay. Possibly Um, at the water cooler. P- potentially, but they brought the idea up to Ross Braun of, hey, you know, one, once you sort this out, wh- why not try this? You know, this could shake things up. It's a way to see, you know, with minimal impact of how it would work. And Ross Braun said, um, no. <laughs> a- as Ross reminded Autosport that, yes, you may be focused on the Drivers and Constructors Championship, and in your eyes— the season is essentially over, or for the most part over, once drivers and constructors is settled, because that's what your attention is focused on, even if there's four races left in a season. But there's the whole rest of the grid that's still jockeying for position and trying to get lined up, and all of those positions and all of those points still matter when it comes to settling prize money distribution because that's not settled yet until the end of the season. So it's not fair to them to then turn around and monkey with the format of the weekend just because constructors and drivers are done. Go away. <laughs> there are moments I really like Ross Brown. Now, he, he might not have said go away, but yeah. He should have. Yeah. <laughs> So there is no change to the format coming later in the year. No double dobby? No double dobby. No reverse grids coming later this year. None of that stuff is happening. Yay. So U.S. Grand Prix weekend this weekend, a lot of talk that's going on. And one of the things that has kind of shocked people is the qualifying performance of the Ferraris. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Sebastian was asked about this. Where did this come from that you were this close? I mean, it was close. Oh, yeah. What happened? And, and one of the things that we knew was that Ferrari brought a brand new spec floor to Austin. Um, it sounds like, and admittedly, it's really hard to tell, but Friday was wet. And it sounded like they were really kind of far off the pace, but it was wet. And that really mixes things up. And there were some other issues going on, but they were a whole lot better today. Well, Seb was asked about it. According to him, what Ferrari did was they reverted back the specification. Now, the initial reporting, and even from what Seb was saying, was that they went back several revisions and several races back is is how he described it but then he said and he said that we we went back with the car a long way and it seems to work better that way but he said that essentially it's in the same configuration as what they ran in suzuka in russia suzuka was two weeks ago russia was the race before that and their pace wasn't there in suzuka in russia Hmm. So I'm a little con confused by exactly what they rolled back. Um, but it sounds like they rolled something back. Okay. So, they, but they did find some pace, which, okay, awesome. Um, let's go with possibly too little too late. But the reminder here is that Seb got a three-place grid penalty. And if you caught, and, and admittedly, we joined the sky coverage late in the U.S. But if you Scott caught the sky coverage, there was discussion about Seb getting a three-place grid penalty. We really didn't hear what that explanation was. We know what happened. Okay. It's still a little vague, which is kind of frustrating me, but in the reporting it says that, oh, actually it was in the opening practice session, so it was free practice one. It was kind of vague. I was trying to figure out which practice session, but we knew it happened in a practice session. Um, Red flag was thrown because uh, Charles Leclerc had spun out and threw gravel onto the track. So okay. they threw the red flag during the practice session so that the marshals could come out and clear the gravel off the track. Well, Seb was penalized because according to the marshals, he didn't slow down enough under the red flag and as a result got the three-second penalty. And Seb was rather upset over this. Um, he says that it was because it took him longer than 27.7 seconds to slow down. Okay. So what Seb had to say about this, he said, I think I slowed down. I had a good look around at what was going on. The rules are clear, so we know. It is the first time we had this in the wet where the target is a lot slower. So literally you have to stop to 40 to 50 kilometers an hour to bring down the the Delta, which probably I should do next time. But in my opinion, that is not the right thing. If there is a car right behind you, it might run into you. But it's more important that you don't get a penalty. His argument is that there were other cars on the track, and for him to sharply slow down to do it within that 27 seconds was dangerous. Mm. And then he was operating in that method. Apparently, that's not what the marshal said. Marshall said no. Three grid penalty places for you. Yeah. Yeah, the, the time is, well, he says that 
The stewards were very specific, saying I took 27.7 seconds to slow down. I saw the red flag. I slowed down. I had to look around where the car was potentially stuck in the wall or if there was one around turn 9 or 10. Then I slowed down significantly to comply with the rules. They found it took too long. I think it was straightforward. On top of it, there might be an issue with the timing, the system. I don't know, so I slowed down. Seb says he did it. They say, nope, took too long. And Okay. Yeah. My opinion, completely my opinion. Mm-hmm. In the past, Seb has been an unreliable reporter of his <laughs> own actions. True. Enough that makes me say... I call your reporting to be probably flawed. I'm going to listen to the marshals. They have telemetry. They know what happened. Their feeling is that took too long. I agree with them. Therefore, take your three-grid penalty and shut it. Well, the other thing that I think is worth noting, only because it seems to be an, I don't know if I want to say an issue, but it seems to be a commonality. So this weekend's driver marshal is Derek Warwick. Okay. Derek Warwick, this season, every time that we have, it's, it seems like every time that we have a call that a driver does not appreciate from the marshals seems to happen when Derek is the driver steward. Oh, they think Derek is anti-driver? Uh, yeah. I, they're not saying anything. You are spouting just, conspiracy theories. All, all What's I'm going saying on? is that it seems to be that there's a little bit of a commonality here that Derek's approach may be something that the drivers are not necessarily agreeing with. And w- since we know that the driver stewards tend to change race to race, is and, and there is a degree of individual interpretation that happens it may be that Derek's standard is a bit different than some of the other driver stewards. That's all I'm saying. Send your letters to Michael I, at Bloke and the Bird for his conspiracy theorying. I, I, and, and I don't point that out to criticize Derek or to, to even say that the drivers are wrong, just that there is a difference in interpretation, and Derek's interpretation seems to be one that the drivers don't always appreciate. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I'm not saying that he's wrong or that he's interpreting it more harshly. I'm just saying that his name comes up. Okay. Did want to briefly touch on, since we're talking about Seb now, what can decide the championship this weekend? Okay. So the way this works, and, and the assumption here as I go through this, the, the, the conditions is that if this occurs, Lewis wins the Drivers' Championship. Okay. So for starters, if Lewis Hamilton wins and Sebastian Vettel is third or lower, done. If Lewis finishes second and Vettel is fifth or lower, if Hamilton finishes third and Vettel is seventh or lower, Hamilton finishes fourth and Vettel is eighth or lower. Hamilton finishes fifth and Vettel is ninth or lower. Or finally, if Vettel fails to score and Lewis finishes sixth, he still wins the championship. Wow. So that's the condition to end the driver's championship only. I don't have the constructor standings up, but driver's championship, that's where it settles out. My understanding is that 
only the driver's championship because Ferrari and Mercedes are very close in the constructors. Only the driver's championship could actually be decided in this race. Correct. Um, and then I think that that is one of the reasons that we have heard rumors that Mercedes has planned no kind of – there are no printed Lewis Hamilton world champion T-shirts right. and hats and all that. That while it is truly possible, I would argue likely that Lewis will clinch it this weekend, It everybody is not planning on it because I believe that the first chance that Mercedes could possibly like clinch it up, it would be next weekend in Mexico. So I think they're trying to combine the two celebrations. Well, they are, but it's also that point of, yes, everyone focuses on the driver's championship, but Mercedes' goal is to win both. So they haven't clinched everything until both drivers and constructors is settled, so they don't want to have a premature celebration. Exactly. Speaking of the rivalry, while we're talking about the rivalry. So this past week, Fry wrote a letter to the FIA. Mm-hmm. Specifically questioning a change in the design of the rear wheel and hub of the Mercedes that's been used in the last couple of races. Okay. So what has caught their attention is that um, in the rear wheel – there's now some additional holes in the hub itself. Okay. Now I'm going to go, and, and there's a little science as to, to what happens here and what's going on. Science. Actually, the whole thing stems back to a band that was handed to Red Bull at the 2012 Canadian Grand Prix. So Red Bull went and in 2012 had modified their front wheel hubs to do something that appeared to be very similar. They put some holes in the hub that channeled air from the brake ducts to the outside of the wheel, aiding with ventilation and cooling. Well, as a result of doing this, the wheels were ruled to be aerodynamic devices. Okay. The requirement is other than the rear flap that rear wing flap that moves for DRS, aerodynamic devices on a Formula One car must be fixed. They cannot move. And, and a wheel by wheel definition moves. moves. So it was ruled a movable aerodynamic devices and was therefore banned. The whole idea being that the spinning of the wheel moved the and the channels spun the air inside the wheel hub and did extra cooling of the brake discs and the okay. and the plates as a result ferrari asked the question about these wheels that mercedes had rolled out and could they possibly oh please 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 be banned yeah because of how it worked well Actually, they looked at the rotation of the and whether or not there was rotation of the air and how this was working. And according to the FIA, they're legal. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that that's what's really odd. And, and it's hard to understand how they made the decision that 
the, the airflow wasn't rotating. But all that the FIA said was that the, the change is interesting, but they say that the design has different intentions to the Red Bull 2012 system and is incompliant with regulations. So we don't have any detailed look at how the air is moving differently, but I guess it's not spinning the air the same way the Red Bull modifications were doing it, and it's legal. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, Ferrari, you did not get Lewis Hamilton banned from the last few races for running illegal wheels. Tried. Didn't work. Um, so last year, the closing lap of the race, there was that really great pass that Max Verstappen had on Kimi Raikkonen. Kind of exceeded track limits, and remember, that was... Max, and, and it may have also been Derek Warwick, who was the marshal then, that Max accused of trying to kill racing. Yes. Because he got a penalty for exceeding track limits. Mm -hmm. Because, well, he exceeded the track limits. Right. Well, the FIA really didn't want that to happen again over at Turn 19, so they have added curbs um, at Turn 19. They've added sausage curbs, which it turns out that Max once again ran afoul of. And broke the heck out of his suspension doing it. Yeah. During qualifying and didn't make it out of, well, he technically made it out of Q1, but didn't run in Q2. Um, yeah. He does not like track limits. Um, and I got to say, in this case, I think the curbs worked exactly as designed. Yes. If you're not supposed to go and exceed track limits and hit the curbs because they might slow you down or break your car, then don't exceed track limits. Well, I think that's the I mean whole, it's <laughs> I think that's the whole point is if you're not going to pay attention to the white line, we're gonna put something in that will hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Now they also added new curbs at the exit of turn one to also prevent drivers from running wide there. Now, that's something that we have seen quite a few years, running wide at turn one, especially at the start, running because you get that big mashup of three, four wide cars at the top of the hill, and somebody goes running wide, and there's contact. So I think that could be interesting to see how that plays out at the start of the race this year. Oh, yeah. Um, but drivers were also warned about track 19 turn 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 and track limits abuse mm -hmm. um they have been told that if they run completely off the track and still somehow manage to miss the curbs um they will have their times deleted right they are cracking down fairly hard at the end of turn 19 uh, so the statement that was issued to the drivers is that if a driver crosses the curb on the exit of turn 19 during qualifying, and as a result, no part of the car remains in contact with the red and white section of the curb, the lap time of the driver concerned will be deleted by the stewards. During the race, a black and white flag will be shown to any driver who clears the red and white section of the curb three times. Any further occurrence will then be reported to the stewards. Each time any car clears the red and white section, teams will be informed via the official messaging system. Don't do it. It was interesting in the Sky coverage um, that 
they showed because Carlos Sainz ran afoul of having his time mm-hmm. deleted. Um, and so they showed the difference between what Carlos Sainz did, where he got all four tires on the other side of the white line. Yep. And what Kimi Raikkonen did, which was truthfully. It was close. It was kissing that white line. And it wasn't until they like froze the frame mm-hmm. that you could really see that there was just the barest little bit, but it was still on the track. Yep. Now, all this talk about track limits and don't cross them. They did ease track limit issues inside turns 16 and 17. So they've recognized that, okay, we can tweak this a little bit. So I don't know how much grace that they're going to get at 16 and 17, but there has been some easing there. Okay. So let's talk McLaren. Let's go in a completely different direction. Whoa. I have a flash now. Track limits to McLaren without any sort of segue. Whoa. It's really hard to come up with a segue for this one. McLaren signed a sponsor deal for the rest of 2018 um, with Coca-Cola. Okay. So this is the first time, and and I was really kind of surprised when I read this, but this is the first time that Coca-Cola logos will appear on a Formula One car ever. Wow. So in the past, and I know we talked about this way back when because we'd never heard of the brand, but in the past, a Coca-Cola brand appeared on a car. Lotus signed a deal with Coca-Cola in 2012 um, for the energy drink Burn. Mm-hmm. Remember them with the flame and everything? Burn appeared on the car for the season, but not the Coca-Cola brand itself. Okay. So it'll be for the remainder of the season, at which point Coke will go and evaluate whether or not they're going to keep this deal going. Honestly, when you think about the global sponsorship deals, the global sporting sponsorship deals that Coke has, you know, exclusive soft drink sponsor for World Cup, and to the extent that they go to make sure that Coke has that exclusivity. The same thing with the Olympics and a lot of these other sporting events, to think that Coke has not had an involvement in a sport with a footprint like Formula One is kind of staggering. I know. I know. Well, I hope it works for them for two reasons. One, I think it's really cool to see a ginormous American brand on a Formula One car. But the other thing is, woohoo for McLaren finally getting another sponsor. Yeah. Now, it looks like the sponsorship will be, at least right now, uh, on the forward barge board. So just before the front wheels mm-hmm. on that black piece. So it's there's still going to be a lot of orange on the car. Well, yeah. But, yeah, we'll see where that goes. The other thing that came out on Friday, Zach Brown, you know, we, we'd been waiting, anticipating something to happen around IndyCar and McLaren and Fernando Alonso and 19, and Zach Brown has come forward and said that McLaren will not – field a full-time entry in IndyCar for next year. Okay. So, but he did not say that it we won't see them for part of the season, particularly for the 500. So, as a matter of fact, he says there is still a, a chance, and it's probably likely, I think, from hearing from Fernando, 
that McLaren and Fernando will return to the Indy 500 this year. Okay. So they'll give it another shot to see if they can get him the Triple Crown. Yeah. Um, he says that McLaren itself is not ready, um, and some of that may be because they've realized just how badly off the car is for 19, and they need to sort some stuff out. But there's also some challenges around engines because, mm. you know, this would mean that they'd have to either re-enter into a partnership with Honda after they burn that bridge fairly hard or they need to figure out a way for them to run a Chevy car um, maybe with Harding. Yeah. So it, it doesn't it, – it's not clear how that could possibly pull off. So at this point, it, if Andretti decided to move to a Chevy engine, maybe for 20, maybe something could happen, but yeah. Interesting. And Fernando, of course, says that, yeah, this really wasn't a big surprise. I knew this was coming. I really didn't want to run a full season in IndyCar. It was never really an option. I knew about this since August. I'm not surprised, and I'm not all that concerned, and whatever, Fernando. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at this point, whatever, Fernando. So let's talk Force India. And I, I noticed this weekend, and maybe i mean it's probably been true for a while but i noticed this weekend and even though the team is technically race point force india you don't see force india anywhere on a car anymore no there the, the name doesn't exist on the car anymore um we did get word that Lawrence stroll has gone forward and ensured that all of the team's existing creditors are paid off oh wow all of that he assumed that debt now the way this should normally work is that corporation company under UK law buys the team or buys the entity and assumes the debt and then the courts sort out who gets what and how and when because still technically I think the, the, the team is in some degree of administration when it comes to that debt. The courts would sort all of that out. Okay. However... Lawrence turned around and made the call to pay off the creditors now. Paid, at, paid it out of his own pocket, and that includes the ones who are looking for money around Sergio Perez, key in a moment, Okay. Um, but paid for all of that right up front. The court issues are still happening, but the agreement is once the courts sort all of that piece out, Lawrence will get reimbursed from the court settlement. So it sounds like the 90 million pounds that Lawrence and, and company paid for the team was enough to cover the debts. Okay. But how that gets divvied out and how that gets proportioned was still up in the air. Well, Lawrence turned around and said, I'm not going to wait for the courts. Here's a check to each of those vendors covering the outstanding debts with the agreement of you're not going to wait for the courts now to sort out the rest. You're consider us paid in full. The court will go and sort out that and then reallocate that money directly to Lawrence now. So basically, if I can sum up all of those words, okay. Lawrence has made himself the sole creditor Essentially. For, for the entity. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm assuming that some of the reasons behind this are they need those vendors to still produce parts for them. Exactly. And still do stuff, which they are not going to do with so much in arrears. So he paid them all off, assumed all of the credit liability, which means when the courts figure out how the $90 million gets reallocated, they're going to look down the list and go, oh, there's one creditor, all the money that's owed, one shot. There you go. So Lawrence has made a personal loan to the the team strictly to bring them all up to zero. Exactly. And everyone involved admits that this is do- this was done for two reasons. One was so that Force India can t- continue getting the parts and supplies that it needs and that the development work can continue. Mm-hmm. So that was one piece, but the other was because Lawrence was – trying to send a message to all of the creditors as well as Formula One and everybody else that the new shareholders are personally invested in this team and are willing to take risks to support and back the team so that it can succeed and continue to move forward. Cool. So that w- that was the, the, the two ulterior motives behind that move. But Lawrence has paid everybody off, and as a result of that, in – and an action that was quite honestly, you know, expected by everybody, including us. Uh, as a result, Sergio Perez has extended his contract for a year with Force India. Um, so we'll be driving in 2019, but still no word on what's going to happen with Lance. Interesting. Not a huge surprise there. I mean, Lawrence can make that announcement whenever he feels like it. And they're still going to let him into the factory because I'm coming to see Dad. Hey, show me what you're doing. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> take your kid to work day. Yeah, every day. Um, when it comes to the Force India name, Racing Point Force India says that they are planning to lodge a name change in time for it to be resolved by the end of this year. Okay. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know whether they're going to be Racing Point or if it's going to be Lance's team. Stroll Racing. Lance's team. Big Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy bought me a seat, team. Yeah, or they're just going to call his car, Daddy's car. <laughs> but we'll know what it's going to be, hopefully by the end of the year. And Otmar says that when he knows the name, he'll tell us. Thanks, I am man. Very, very hopeful that they don't come up with a stupid name. Y- you're really hoping for Lance's team. <laughs> I'm hoping for something, you know. Most successful Formula One teams are either named after their manufacturer, because they're a constructor team, Mercedes, mm-hmm. Ferrari, that, or they're named for the team owner, Williams, Jordan. You know, it's that type of or, thing. Or, or some kind of message that the team owner is putting forward. Because VJ Malia didn't call it, v, even though the car was the VJM whatever. Right. Um, the team was Force India because he was trying to promote Indian involvement in the series. Correct. So maybe they'll call it the Maple Leafs. Maybe they'll call it the Maple Leafs. You can Leafs. go talk to, to the the Toronto Maple Leafs team and, and see if you can get permission to use that. Um, I the st- Beaver, it'll be Beaver Racing. I'm a? really struggling and failing to make a Canadian Mounties joke. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, 
moving right along. Um, the last domino that was needed for the 2019 season has fallen. We're going to have one? Well, we knew that, but the, the, the schedule was set last week. That was approved and moved on. The only thing that was missing to that was preseason testing. Okay. So that has been confirmed. It will be taking place in Barcelona again. Um, two four-day tests, the first taking place February 18th to February 21st, and the second from February 26th to March 1st. Um, and the hope is for no snow this year? The hope is for no snow, and actually – the reason why this was up in the air is that teams were, at least some of the teams, were again pushing for Bahrain because they knew that snow wouldn't be an issue. There was also, I guess, another group that was considering uh, moving back to Haref, mm. uh, which it'd be the first time that testing was in Haref since 2015. Okay. Um, in a way, I kind of wish they would do Haref. At least to split the testing like they've done in the past of one session in Haref, one session in Barcelona, from that idea of it gives them a different reference point. I mean, the problem yeah. with Barcelona is the teams know it so well. They know what the setup should be. They know what the tire should be. They know what the strategy should be. When you throw Haref in there, it's a little bit of a curveball. I agree with you. I really do. But it'll be Barcelona once again. Little driver news. Okay. We know what's we know what Stoffel Van Dorn is up to now. I know. And we will not be making our flying waffle t shirts. Not unless we went to a Formula E race. Nope. He's he's gonna go <coughs> buy, drive the electric cars with Massa. Um yes, but not the same team. No. To be clear. Um, actually, Stoffel Van Dorn will be going to HWA, which, as you'll recall last week, had offered a seat to Pascal Verline, which he turned down. Stoffel headed to HWA. HWA, for the full transparency, was the first element of the um, DTM ditchers. Mm -hmm. Best way to put that. Um, but that was the team that Toto Wolf got started with, as we mentioned. Um, he and he apparently Toto is still the motorsports director over at HWA. Mm -hmm. um, next year, HWA will be joined by a Mercedes Works team in Formula E. Stoffel is that's where he's got his sights set on is that when the works team comes in he wants to jump over to the works team in Formula E I believe HWA will be remaining in Formula E even after the works team comes in okay but that's what Stoffel says he's truly targeting at this point it does not sound like he's shooting for a return to Formula One he I, I, once he turned around and said that he's the target is the Mercedes team, I think that's pretty much closing the door on coming back to Formula One. Eh, it's sad, but I think that he got it, it. We've talked about this so very many times, and we just cannot lose fact, uh, lose sight of it. Winning Formula One and being successful in Formula One is more than sheer talent. It requires being at the right team at the right time. Mm-hmm. 
and having the right kind of other drivers around you. Yep. Um, you know, where they are in their careers. All of those points have to just culminate right in the right way. And anybody joining the track right now is facing, you know, you're getting compared to are you or are you not a Lewis Hamilton? Mm-hmm. And Van Dorn's not. Now, could he have been a great if he had been in the right team at the right time? Maybe, but we'll never know. Well, you've got that. And the other thing to remember is you're compared very closely against your teammate mm-hmm. and how well you perform against your teammate. And he, this season in particular, as opposed to last season or his first time in where he scored McLaren's first points, mm-hmm. he has not been able to out-qualify Fernando at all. Now, admittedly, Fernando, it, say what you want about Fernando Alonso. He is still a quality driver. Yeah. And that is a very hard, very high bar to set. But that's what he's being measured against. Well, there's that. And he's the only driver on the grid to not outqualify his teammate at least once this year. Yeah. So that's an interesting stat. And you're right. Because they drive the same car, the you compared to your teammate is a really strong marker so mm-hmm. you know you may be able to fight off the well you're not a lewis hamilton well i'm also not in the same grade car he is in yeah but you cannot fight that when they say you're not a Lu- you're not a fernando alonso either and so that's where he's falling but you know you you look at some of the other ones and go you know what what time did you join the series and sometimes you can look back if you look back at the list of champions there's some champions i can point to and go they don't hold a candle to some of the mid-pack drivers we've got today Mm -hmm. but they were world champions because timing was in their favor all the cards fell into place Mm -hmm. so some other interesting connections here with this move and this decision so as i mentioned Total Wolf has a share in HWA and is the motorsports director of HWA. HWA is also a customer team of the Venturi Formula E team. That's the one that Susie Wolf is going to be the team director of, right? N- not going to be, is, is team, team principal of. Team principal of. Okay. Is Yeah, a little interesting there. Interesting. So... Very close ties there. So that leaves the question of, okay, Pascal Verline, what is he going to do? And as we had mentioned last week, turn down that seat over at uh, HWA after testing with Mahindra. Mahindra announced this week that Pascal Verline will be joining Jerome D'Ambrosio, another F1 veteran, at the team for the 18-19 Formula E championship season. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see some of our Formula One friends getting seats elsewhere when they fall out of Formula One. But I'm kind of sad that we're not seeing somebody take on a full season of IndyCar so that we can hunt them down. Yeah, it it doesn't look like anyone's going to make the jump. And again, I, I think the Robert Wickens crash has had some impact there on that. Um, Felipe Massa, again, going back to the Venturi connection, mm-hmm. um, Felipe Massa, who is... Uh, gearing up for the 1819 Formula E season with Venturi uh, has been speaking out about what he perceives are serious safety concerns with IndyCar and holding up Robert's crash as 
and you know the the symbol of some things need to change over at IndyCar. That makes sense. Um, and it's always a teeter totter. Safety will become a bigger concern after a massive crash. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what changes on IndyCar's side. And and you know we, we we've talked about this before. It, it's a real conundrum as to how you deal with an incident like Robert Wickens because. You need that catch fence. Mm-hmm. Indy has proven, and, and all the series have proven, NASCAR has done it too, that that catch fence is vital to preserving the safety of not just the drivers, but also the fans when things really go sideways. And that fence has to be strong enough to catch cars and engine blocks and you name it from tearing through the spectators. Right. But the structure that's needed to support that obviously poses a degree of risk as well. And I don't know how they're going to be able to square that circle. I don't know either. But that's why it's left up to people that are smarter and more engineeringly minded than we are. Yeah. And on that note, we'll call it a show. Okay. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. <laughs>